Good morning, everyone, and welcome to 2019. That's Christmas, that's New Year's, out of the way for another year. If you're like me, I had to realise that the hard way this week when I come home from work and bumped into my Christmas tree on my drive. See, my wife knew that if she didn't take it down when I was at work, I'd string it, like seriously, I'm one of them, I'll string it out for as long as possible. But don't worry, if you need something to look forward to, if you've got your notepads out on the 30th of Jan, it's my birthday. <laughs> so start thinking about what you're getting me. Now, before I start, I just wanted to share a few things. Preparing this talk has been really difficult. Hearing what God's been saying on this passage and in my own life has been really challenging. And when I started writing it, I'd kind of start writing and I feel that I was maybe leaning too far to the left and I felt I don't really want to offend anybody. So I'd rip out the pages and I'd start again and I'd rewrite it and then I'd feel I was leaning to the right and I prayed about it and God gave me this image of a tightrope walker. And if you've ever seen a tightrope walker, they never look down, they're just literally fixed straight ahead. And God said, look, don't worry about the left and the right. Fix your eyes on me, say the words that I'm giving you and I'll do the rest through the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't do this often. And I really want everyone to understand that is I'm not standing up here with all the answers. I'm not pointing the finger or judging or making anybody feel bad. It was never intended to make you feel that you're not doing enough, not giving enough, not, you know, joining more serving teams. However, if you do want to join kids work, <laughs> come and speak to me at the end because I can definitely hook you up. But it was never intended to go that way. And I thank God that he constantly reminds me that when I talk, it's for my life as well as anybody else's. In fact, I should really be doing this talk sat somewhere in the middle over there, but the rule says I have to be up here, so <laughs> here we are. So I see a few worried faces, like, what's he going to talk about? So let's get into it. Now, if you've got your Bibles with you, if we can turn to Revelation, we're going to be looking at chapter 3, verse 14 to 22. If you haven't got it, don't worry. Hopefully it will come up on the screen. Now, this is one of those passages where it's really difficult. Not because it's hard to understand. I think it's quite easy to understand. But it's so direct, so to the point, that sometimes we skim over it. Or we read it in a different way and it doesn't seem that direct. Or sometimes, if we're honest, we just avoid it. But the thing is, as a church and as a people of God, we don't want to be avoiding God's word. We want to go that bit deeper to see what's God saying to us. And when we go a bit deeper, we'll see that it's not a judgment. We'll see how much love that God's got in the passage for us. So let's read it together. To the church in Laodicea and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realising that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so you may be rich and white garments that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so you may see 
Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down on my father's throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what he says to the churches. Wow, like how direct is that? Pause for a dramatic effect there. But if we're honest, how does that make you feel? You know, hand on heart, how does that make you feel when you read a passage like that or you hear me say that passage out? For me, it can quickly turn into one of those passages where I feel down, I feel like, oh, I'm not doing enough, I'm not giving enough. But the thing is, God's love is not dependent on what we do, what we give. That just comes naturally. The more time we spend with God, it comes naturally. It's like it's the overflow of our hearts. So let me start by giving the background. If we can get the first map up on the screen. See, first of all, who thought that was going to be getting a history lesson from me today? You just never know what happens when you rock up at church. So the letter is written by John. John is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. And at this point... He's going around, he's telling people about Jesus, you know, sharing the good news, seeing people saved, and they don't like that very much. So they pop him on the island of Patmos, which you will see down there. So they've, they've exiled John on Patmos. So he's there, and he's writing letters to the churches. Now, if we go to the next map, there we go. So he writes this city, just this letter to the church in Laodicea. Now, Laodicea is surrounded by two other cities. We've got above it, we've got Heriopolis. Now, this was a, a city where they had hot water. It was come from the earth. You know, like if you go to Iceland and the States, you get that hot, good water that's got like healing qualities in it. So people would flock from all over to, to head to that city. And below it, we had Colossae. But this is where we get the book of Colossians in the Bible. Now, their water was different. Their water was cold, running, fresh water, and people loved it. So they would head from all over to the city. But Laodicea, bang smack in the middle, their water would run down from Hierapolis, but by the time it got to them, it, it weren't hot anymore. It was lukewarm. But not just that, it was full of sulfur. Now, from looking into this and researching, when you have sulfur in water, it smells, it smells like rotten egg. So they, their water was lukewarm, egg-smelling water that if you drank, it made you sick. Not a winner. It's not something that you're going to put on your list, like, I'm going to go there and try that out. And it's important that we have a bit of this background because we'll see why later on in the passage. So it starts, 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. The words of the Amen. Do you know, Amen literally means so be it. Faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. This isn't a warm opening to a letter. This is John saying, look, this is the words of the so be it. Faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He's saying, these are the words of Jesus. They don't just hold a little bit of weight. They ain't just a little bit serious. They're said with authority because they're said by God, but they're also said in love. 15, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. 16, so because you are lukewarm and either hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Let's not kid ourselves. As a Christian, that's terrifying. It's direct. 
But let's break it down. Let's see what Jesus is actually saying when he says hot and cold. It's important that we look closer because, as I mentioned, the cities above and below Laodicea were both hot and cold, both good in their own right. Because you get, you know, hot is good when it's cold outside. It's a tonic. It warms you up a bit. And cold is good in in the summer. You know, it cools you down. You know, like you get hot chocolate in the winter. You get a cold glass of Coke in the summer. Both good, both different, but good in their own right. Now, Revelation is one of them complicated books. And there's all sorts of different theories, different interpretations on the passages, especially this one. Now, when I've talked to people and I've read commentaries on this, people have got all different thoughts on it. When I've spoken to some people, people refer it back to the cities and they say, well, look, the way I read it is... Hieropolis is like got the hot water, so they're hot. They, you know, it's good. They're on fire for God, and it's like healing qualities in the water. So that they're pursuing God for healing, and Colossae, they're cold. They're refreshing. You know, refreshing in faith. So the way they read it is Jesus saying, "Look, what's your church all about? Are you seeking God for healing, or are you going the other way? Are you seeking God for refreshing faith? You know, make a choice." I'll be honest, I don't read it like that. I don't know if you do, but I don't read it like that. I don't feel that it's a straight choice. I don't think that we need to choose more healings or refreshing faith. I think we can seek God for both. So if we can seek God for both, then then what's going on here? Now, first of all, we don't read the Bible verses in isolation. We don't read them on their own. We have to read it in the whole context of what's going on. Otherwise, we get ourselves into all sorts of trouble. In Isaiah 23, verse 13, it says, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. See, you get that in your, di- your daily reading plan, and you're like, well, if I'm going to die today, I'm going in. Like, <laughs> but we don't read it like that. We need to read the whole thing to actually hear what God's saying to us. Now, as we read through the Bible, God's desire for us is that we would be people on fire for God who enjoy time in God's presence, who take his word seriously. It's not to say that we're perfect, because we're not. No one is. We're we're all going to mess up, but we would be people that take seriously the calling that God has on our lives. God certainly doesn't want us cold towards him. You know, people who are far away from God, against God, that will literally say, look, I'll only believe in what I can see and what I can touch. I rely on me. You know, I don't believe in heaven and hell, so why would I believe that I need to be saved? You know, God doesn't want that, people who are all out. Being cold towards God is never good. God's bothered about our hearts being on fire for him. Being cold towards God never ends well. Like in Jeremiah, the bit about God being a potter and weird of clay, Jeremiah says, cold is evil when it likens the stubbornness of evil hearts. Growing cold towards God is terrible. See, I think this is what the passage is really getting at. You know, being on fire for God is amazing. Cold is not good. But being lukewarm, being in in the middle, that's what's terrible. Sitting on the fence. You know, you get these, these things in the parts of the Bible, like when Jesus in Matthew is really blunt about it. He talk he says, he talks about in the end times, the love of God will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. Like, he's, he's really blunt about you know, where, the state of our heart and wants us to really understand these things. Sitting on the fence, that's not good. You know, in the book of Naham, it's a slightly full-on crazy book about God's judgment poured on his enemies. But it says, he condemns those who are sitting on the fence 
in the day of cold. Jesus is saying, look, make a choice. Stop pretending. Don't rock up to church on Sunday, say one thing, do one thing, and then down a pub on a Monday night, be completely different. He's saying, if you're in, be all in. Now, I heard this great story once about this atheist. And this was a guy who was an out-and-out atheist. He'd say, look, I don't believe in God. I don't believe there's a heaven and hell. Why would I need to be saved? I believe in me. I rely on me. And this guy has this dream. And he's in this field standing on this fence. And on the left-hand side, there's all these people dressed in black. And there's a figure in the middle. And it seems to be above the rest of them. And they're all drawn to him. So he assumed that that was the devil. And on the right-hand side of the fence, they had all these people dressed in white. And they all seemed to be drawn to this figure in the middle, which was slightly above them. And he assumed that that was Jesus. So he's standing on the fence. And he's looking at these groups. And all of a sudden, everybody disappears. And he's standing there. He's not moving. He's still standing on the fence. And all of a sudden, the devil pops back up and said, there you are. I was looking for you. Come on. Come with me. And the guy says, hold on. Wait. I might not have chosen him, but I definitely didn't choose you. And the devil says, no, you don't understand the fence. That belongs to me. So come on. The guy wakes up and instantly gives his life to Christ. It's a dramatic story. But I think it shows God's desire that we wouldn't just sit on the fence. We would be hot for him. Now, if there was a scale of hot to cold. So if we've got hot over here, I'm all out. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what people in my work say. I'm all in for Jesus. I don't care that the world says I need money. I need that car, that house, that gadget. I need that nest egg. I rely on Jesus. And that's where I'm going to put my trust. I'm hot for God. And this side, we had cold. We had, I don't, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe I need to be saved. I believe in me. And I believe in what I can see and what I can touch. Cold, all out. In the middle, we had the fence. In the middle, we have that attitude of, yeah, I might do that, but I might not. You know, I could go to that, but I might not. You know, if that's the scale... And I don't want people to call out and say, I put myself there. But if that's the scale of hot to cold, maybe jot this down, maybe pray about this. Where would you put yourself right now? Where would you put yourself on this scale? But more importantly, why would you put yourself there? Let's go back to Revelation. Now, in verse 15, Jesus says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. See, the key words to understand in this verse is works. I know your works. Jesus isn't criticizing their faith. He's criticizing the lack of fruit in their life. He's saying, make sure what you say and what you do, they line up. You know, don't say one thing and do another. Don't be one way with this person and be a different way with another person. It says, if you know God, if you know Jesus has died for you, if you're a Christian, then act like it. Don't play it, live it out. And when you do this, God is so pleased. It says that you will join the ranks of those recorded in Hebrews 11. Men and women of faith who had faith and acted on it. They didn't say one thing and do another. Now it's important to remember that God loves us so much that he sent his only son to die for us on the cross. He loves us. And he wants us to understand the choices that we make. You know, I've got friends in their kitchen. They've got this little thing and it says, life is made up full of small choices, so choose wisely. And I love that because that's what God's getting at. He's like, look, life is loads of little choices. What are you choosing? 
Choose wisely. And when Jesus breaks into our hearts and we say, look, I was cold, I've warmed up a bit, it's all right, isn't it? No, because when Jesus breaks into our hearts, it's meant to change everything. Look at the examples. Now, I had mates a couple of weeks ago, a lot of you was here, I had two mates got on the stage and they were baptised and they give their testimony of how they were cold and now hot. You know, and we, we've got, everyone's got their own story of this. There's millions of examples, but you look at examples like, there's a guy called Lee Strobel, a guy in America. He was an investigative journalist uh, in Chicago. Now, Lee Strobel was an atheist. He was an out-and-out atheist. He'd say, I'm an atheist. Didn't believe in God, believed in what he could prove. His wife becomes a Christian. Completely, imagine that when he comes home properly rocks his world his wife had become a Christian and he couldn't understand why so he looked at Christianity as a house of cards and he thought if he could prove that a resurrection never existed if he pulled that card out which is right the whole thing would come crumbling down so with all the skills that he's obtained over his life he sets out on this journey to prove the resurrection didn't exist instead he proves that it did exist and becomes a Christian he then goes on to release all of his findings in a book called A Case for Christ. I'd strongly suggest reading it. They've even, at the moment, my daughter's reading A Case for Christ for Kids. Or if you like me and reading is hardcore, watch the film. They've got a film. It's brilliant. We watch it in our community group. It's proper good. Like, but it just shows you that God can take someone from cold, complete 180, to hot. Let's look at someone who's actually in the Bible. What about Saul? Saul's main objective in the Bible is to go around in prison and persecute Christians. That's all he has to do. And he's on the road to Damascus doing what he does best. And he meets with Jesus in a vision. And to cut a long story short, he's saved by Jesus, gives his life to Jesus, changes his name to Paul, travels the world telling people about Jesus, seeing people saved. He writes 12 of the books in the New Testament and ends up dying in the name of Jesus. Now, I know we've all messed up. I know we've made some mistakes, but I'll be very surprised if someone turns around and says, I relate to that, because for the last few years, I've been going around putting Christians in prison and persecuting them. There are some mess-ups that are bigger than the other, but my point is, nothing is impossible with God. It doesn't matter where you're at. Nothing is impossible to turn from cold to hot. And because God has changed you, Jesus is saying, don't be indifferent to that. You can't be lukewarm. Being hot is amazing. Cold is bad, but lukewarm, that's what's terrible. That's why in verse 16 it says, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I will spit you out of my mouth. Do you know when I wrote this originally, I'd write around it and I think I repeated that sentence a few times and I showed it to my wife and she was like, Stop saying that. Like, it's already intense. Like, you don't have to keep saying it. But I think what I wanted to do was just really point that out to be, you know, this is what God's saying to us. If I'm honest, for me, when I read passages like that, it's terrifying. It's like when I read Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name and done wonders in your name? 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You know, these are those passages that are meant to kind of send that shiver down our spine, meant to, you know, make us sit up and take a bit of notice. Now, I know that this passage is hard-hitting, but hopefully you can understand why it was so difficult preparing this. Because of the water situation, the people in Laodicea, they understood the concept of lukewarm. They understood the concept of spitting it out of their mouth. But the question is, do we? You know, I'll be honest, my wife, she hates lukewarm anything. You run her a lukewarm bar, forget the nice gesture, it's no good to her. You know, mulled wine goes from hot to lukewarm, bang, it's gone. Lukewarm coffee, she'll literally spit it out. Me, I'm a little less bothered. You know, I'm not going to throw my wine away. And if my coffee goes lukewarm, I, you know, it's not my favourite, but I'll drink it. But God, God, doesn't, God doesn't view it that way. When God views lukewarm, it's more of an attitude. It's more of, yeah, I'll come to church if, if I ain't got anything else on, if I can be bothered. Or an attitude of, oh, look, you know what? I only get 168 hours in a week and you want me to give two hours midweek to go to a prayer meeting or a community group. Now, you're having a laugh. And you're like, I ain't got the time for that. I'll tell you what, I'll see you Sunday. Or the attitude of, I only earn 40 grand a year and the Bible's talking 10%. That's nuts. Like, you want me to give £4,000? No, do you know what? I live for Jesus, but I'm not radical. I'll chuck a cheeky tenor in here and there. <laughs> now, I understand through work commitments and, you know, other things, we, we can't get to everything. So don't feel bad next time you can't. You can't think, oh, no, they're going to think I'm lukewarm. No, it's not that. But it's, it's more of our heart. God's love isn't based on our church attendance, or how much we give. He loves us regardless of those things. It's just, he doesn't, he doesn't want us, our hearts, he doesn't want us to fall by the wayside. Turning up pretending, that's what's not acceptable to God. Saying one thing from our mouth, and our hearts and our actions doing another, that's what's not acceptable to God. Do you know that's why the word says spit? Do you know the Greek translation to spit was emu? which says vomit, it, like, it makes God sick. Remember, God is truth, and he can only accept truth. So if we're going to say lies or live a lie, he, he's not going to accept that. And it's the same as if we are living a completely different way, and we turn up to church on a Sunday, and we sing, Jesus, you're the name above every other name. I live for you. Are we singing that from the depths of our soul? Are we singing that, believing every word? Or are we singing it because it's on the screen? That's what God won't accept. And I'm not aiming to make people feel down or feel that you're not, you know, things are wrong or, or, or hinder your worship experience. I just think that Jesus wants us to see these passages and really hit them home. 17 says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. You know, the church, the people in Laodicea, they were rich, I mean proper rich. You know, there was an earthquake in the city and instead of getting the government to fix it, the people literally just clubbed their money together and fixed it. So they understood the, what, what John was saying when he said, you're rich, you, you think you need nothing. They understood that. The, the thing is, do we consider ourselves rich? And I know that's a, that's a weird question nowadays because you're like, no, you're having a laugh, you? I'd love to be able to buy that or do that. 
But the reality is, if we earn over 30 grand a year, right now in the world, we're in the top 3% of wealth. Makes you think, doesn't it? And it's not to make people feel bad for having money or feel bad because you're a success. No, it's not that at all. It's just that God doesn't want us to get to that place where we say, I don't need anything. I've got everything this world has to offer. I don't need anything. The verse continues, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You don't see many of them words on Clinton's cars, do you? Wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus is urging us to see that we're sinners. We're pitiable and poor. We have nothing that one day won't be dust. You know, it says in the Gospel of Mark, what does it profit a man to gain this world but forfeit his soul? We just can't see it because we're blind and lastly naked. And he's not talking about clothes. He's talking about being clothed with righteousness that can only be obtained by the blood of Jesus, by Jesus going to the cross and dying for the sins that we've committed. That's how we're made righteous. And if we don't get that and accept that, then we'll never be righteous. That's why the Bible says, confess, repent and be baptized. It's like, we're here, I know my faults, I know where I'm at. And you come before God and you say sorry and you receive his overwhelming love and forgiveness and you're baptized into the name of Jesus. You know, you go into the water and you're coming out being made new in the name of Jesus. And Jesus didn't speak these words out of judgment. No, Jesus' motivation behind this was reform. He wanted us to change. He wants us to see the state that we're in and he invites us to change our situation. That's why in verse 18 it says, I counsel, you for, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so you may be rich and white garments so you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Look closer at the passages. First of all, Jesus is saying, look, you're poor. Next he's saying, come and buy from me, but how can we buy it if we're poor? That's the beauty of it. That's the gospel. We can't. But as a child of God, when you fully accept Jesus into your life, it's freely given to you by Jesus going to the cross and dying, paying for everything in full. It's a gift. And each of us receive this gift freely when we truly receive it. Gold refined by fire. Talking about our faith, that sort of rich, that sort of wealth, that can't be taken by someone. That won't be taken, that won't turn to dust. That's real wealth. And God wants us to understand that. White garments. You might not realize, but people didn't head to Laodicea, as we've seen, for the water. But they headed there for clothes. They made some of the most amazing garments. But when he's talking about white garments, he's... He's talking about being clothed with righteousness and it's saying through him they will be hidden from their shame and clothed. They'll be made righteous. And we don't just see that in this passage. We see that all through the Bible when we read it properly. You know, in Job 29, 14, it says, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. In Isaiah 59, verse 17, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and wrap me with a robe of righteousness. And in Psalm 132 verse 9, 
Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your godly ones sing for joy. And then he ends it by saying, sell for your eyes. God's saying, look, open your eyes. Don't be blind. Look, let's not be ignorant. We know what's going on in the world right now. We're not called to accept Jesus in our lives and just stay in our little Christian bubble with all our mates. Play it safe. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to live in this world but not be influenced by the world. Not worry about their world saying you need this and you need to live that way and that way. We are called to have Jesus through us influence the people around us and influence this world, not the other way around. 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. This is the amazing thing about the gospel. We don't deserve the forgiveness, the love, the help, the comfort, yet God freely gives it to us every day. Even after all we've done, all that we're doing right now and all that we will do, God still loves us unconditionally. You know, it's like for for those of us who have got kids, we know, we understand this slightly more because it's that unconditional love. You know, when our kids do something right, it's amazing. Like when they get an award, you're proper proud of them, but you don't love them anymore. Just like when they're bad, you, you don't love them any less. You know, discipline isn't fun. You don't wake up in the morning and be like, the kids are naughty. Yes, I'm getting on that. Like, but you do it out of unconditional love because you're looking and you're thinking, right, I can see that what they're doing isn't good for them. And even though it might not affect them now, it might affect them down the line and I can't have that. And that's God's unconditional love for us. I've got friends, they, they say the thing, this thing to their kids. They say, we love you when you're good. We love you when you're bad. We love you all the time. And I always thought it's proper cheesy. But I love it because it shows God unconditional love for us. When we're good, we're bad. He loves us all of the time. Now, I think it's good to remember that when we're on the receiving end, God isn't malicious or vindictive. God's loving and merciful. And we're his children. And because we're his children and he, and he allowed Jesus to die for us because he loves us that much, he won't accept us living a lukewarm life because the adventure that God's got in store for each of us is more than that. It's more than that. And he wants more for us than that. So he won't accept us just to go and live this lukewarm life because he loves us too much. He wants us to repent and stay close to him. 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit on my throne as I also conquered and sat down on my father's throne. Do you know what I love about this passage? It's the fact that God's pursuing us. It's it's God saying, look, I'm knocking on the door. If you open up, not only will I come in and have eat with you but I'll let you sit on my throne how are we not saying yet like literally grabbing Jesus two hands up pulling him through the door going look I'm in like where do I sign I'm in but the reality is we do this we hear the knock we sometimes even look and like oh it's Jesus yeah yeah I'm coming I'm coming yeah look it's not that I'm not coming just not right now or we do this we we open the door and we're like oh Jesus yeah how you doing um I'll tell you what Things are going pretty well for me at the moment. Like, so come in, come in. But if you could do me a favor, if you could sit in the corner, don't touch anything, <laughs> and don't make any noise, that would be perfect. 
Because the problem is too many of us take Jesus as an add-on, a just-in-case. You know, I'm doing all right, but I take Jesus just in case. You know, I'm a good person, but just in case. You know, and I know this because I've done this. I always thought, if there was a heaven, I'd be all right because I'm a nice person. But Jesus, it doesn't say that. You know, it doesn't say in the Bible, be a nice person and go to heaven. It says that we've fallen short. We need to repent, see the state that we're in. And let Jesus the forgive and take Jesus' forgiveness, and only through him can we have real life. We've all fallen short. That's the, that's the key. We've all fallen short. It doesn't matter how you look at it, we've all fallen short. But when Jesus breaks into our life, that's not the end. No, that's literally the start. Literally the start. It's like, you know, you ever watch a race and you see the, the runners, they're, they're on there like that, and you hear the bang and they're gone. That's how it is. When Jesus breaks into our life, it's like that bang and we're on that adventure. We're going. And sometimes you don't know, you don't know, when you open that door, if you've opened that door, you, he, Jesus won't be content with being an add-on. He won't be content to sit in the corner and not say anything. He might rearrange everything. More than likely is he'll chuck some stuff out. But know this. If you accept Jesus into your life, you will never regret it. No, no, there's times of uncertainty. There's times of worry and pain. You know, I've heard things over the years where people say, look, if you accept Jesus in your life, you're going to be rich. You're going to be healthy. Smooth sailing. That is not true. (laughs) Jesus never promised us that. But what he did promise us is that he will never leave or forsake us that he will bring light into darkness that he will bring comfort to pain that he would make us righteous through him and everyone's adventure looks different it is it's going to look different because God's got a different purpose from all of us you know for me if people say look what's your journey with Jesus been like it's been up and down it's been here and there but the thing is it's been exciting, uncertain, it's been rewarding. And I'm not talking about money. Yes, yeah, great when God rocks up and does things like that. But it's more than that. It's a, it's a joy. Sometimes it's hard. You know, it's hard to put some things into, into words. But it's a joy that God's put in my heart that can't be taken away by circumstances. It's a joy that God's put in my heart and it doesn't matter what's going on around me. I'm not perfect. We, none of us are. We all fall short. I'm not where I want to be. But I thank God I'm not where I used to be. And I think it's good for us to remember that. That God is taking us on this journey and sometimes it's hard and ups and downs and that. But it's good to sometimes reflect and think, do you know what? It's hard right now, but I thank God I'm not where I used to be. You know, we can sometimes really feel down on ourselves, but thank God we're not where we used to be. And he ends it by saying, he who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What does that say to you? What, what, for everything that I've gone through today, everything we've kind of looked at, what is, what is God saying to you? I think it's good that passage to think about that every Sunday because you, know, you don't just want to get into this thing of just hearing something and be like, no, that was good, that kept me entertained and then just going on with your life. It's like, what is God saying to us? This talk was never intended to make people feel down. 
make people feel bad about the way that they're living, that you're not quite making the cut. The truth is we're all going to go through times of ups and downs and Jesus will pull us through good times as well as bad times. But because of his overwhelming, never-ending love for us, he will never, ever, ever stop pursuing us until we're home in heaven. That's the beauty. Is Jesus knocking on the door today? Then maybe it's time to open it up and see where that adventure takes you. Is Jesus, do you think you've got it all together? Maybe it's time to really, like hand on heart, really start relying on Jesus. Is Jesus an add-on in your life? Maybe it's time to make Jesus the center of your life. Have you called down? Maybe it's time to let Jesus make you hot again. Can you say hand on heart that Jesus is driving my life and not a passenger? As I end, I want to share something. I was speaking to my wife about this talk earlier in the week and she'd been praying. She'd been praying for me, praying for this talk, praying that God would speak to us. And she said that God had given her an image of smoldering wicks that he wasn't going to kind of snuff out like it says in the Bible. He's going to fan into flame. I believe that's what God's got in store for a lot of us today, that there's times where you, for whatever reason, you've called down and God wants to fan back into flame that passion that you know is in your heart. I believe that if you don't know Jesus and he's knocking on that door, I believe that he wants you to understand if you open that door, you're going to feel love and acceptance that you've never felt in your life. I think now would be a really good time to respond. Can I ask Adrian, wherever you are, there he is, to come back on. Now, this is one of those times where, it, you know, we, we can do it in loads of different ways, but I think singing a last song, if you want to come down to the front and be prayed, for, you know, for anything you feel God's speaking to you about, come down the front, feel comfortable, come down and be prayed for. If you want to pray with the people around you, then do that. If you're new here today, and you've got more questions than you thought when the time you turn up, then speak to people. Don't leave here today. There's a great welcome team that you can speak to or speak to people. If you're new here today and you feel comfortable, come down the front. I'd love to pray for you. There's people down here that would love to pray for you. Whatever you want to do is fine. Remember, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever thought possible. But we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we could ever imagine.